Hello and welcome to this episode of the Star Wars Universe podcast. Friends, we are going to do something we haven't done in a long time. We are not going to focus this episode on Andor. There's so much other great Star Wars content out there, and there's a lot of new stuff coming up. Bad Batch, which we'll probably be covering fairly uh, week to week, as well as the Mandalorian coming out and all sorts of stuff. But we've got this short little window in which I wanted to, to look at some other things, including a show that I have been told I should see for a long time, Star Wars Resistance. Well, I finally watched it. Uh, Aaron McGowan, the uh, Ahsoka cosplayer, an awesome guest who I had on a few weeks ago, watched it as well. And we're going to be talking about season one. All that more after a commercial break we have no control of, but I'm going to guess is a lot of ads telling you what you need to buy someone else for Christmas. Welcome back, friends, and I have a question. I want to know how many times did you hear the tune of either Jingle Bells or Deck the Halls in those commercials you just heard? I'm guessing that I'm going to put the over-under at at least one, because I think there's only two ads, but it might be higher. I'm sorry if we could have non-Christmas ads. I definitely would like it to happen, but either way, here we are. I'm Matthew Fox. I'm your host, and I'm joined, as I said, by Aaron McGowan. Uh, Aaron, how are we doing today? Doing good, you know? Um, kind of a late l- night for me last night, so I was in a rush to get here on time. Other mm-hmm. than that, doing pretty good. Well, I totally appreciate that, um, especially after a long night. I'm really glad you could be here. And let's kind of just dive right in and ask, so Star Wars Resistance, what'd you think? I was really pleasantly surprised. I'm going to be honest. Um, one thing about me, I'm a bit of a hater of like the post-Empire era. Like the prequel or no sequel trilogy was not really for me. Looking right. back, I like have a lot more understanding and respect for people who do love it. And I see a lot of the good parts now that I've heard other people talk about it. But I think that was kind of why I didn't initially watch Resistance. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, it's not really a time period I'm that interested in. Meh. But, um, when you said we were going to record on it, I was like, okay, let's like give it a shot, you know? And the first few episodes, I was really pleasantly surprised. Like it is mm-hmm. a kid show. It is a cartoon show, but it still did have like some depth and just genuinely interesting stories. Like right. my dad walked in while I was watching it. And then a while later he was like, man, you're getting me sucked into like your TV show. So like <laughs> even adults enjoy it, you know? <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. Uh, no, it's okay. It's okay. I'm, I am I love having you as a guest. I love the enthusiasm and energy. I'm going to need a walker as we keep talking, but that's fine. That's fine. Um, no, and I totally get it, though. I I had some similar feelings about the, the sequels. Um, I think Last Jedi is, until Andor, maybe my favorite piece of Star Wars media, mm-hmm. but uh, and I, I have a lot of complicated feelings on the sequels, but certainly I didn't have a huge rush of, oh, hey, like, give me more in that world. And I think also the what I'd heard about it was that it was a little bit more childish, a little bit more young focused than even Clone Wars had been. And frankly, as much as I liked the prequels, as you and I have discussed a little bit, that was one of the things that turned me off about the prequels a little bit is I felt like here you have some of the stories that I think are the most adult focused in terms of the nuance of Anakin's fall and the Republic's fall and the Jedi's fall. And it's being told in a way that's really aimed at more little kids. And I've come to really much better understand the prequels in a lot of ways. And so I wanted to kind of give Resistance the same sort of shot. And my experience of of Resistance was basically, the show starts out by saying, hi folks, 
Do you want to spend some time in a Star Wars world that is cozy? Where everyone is a little bit of a two-dimensional character, but don't worry, they're all friendly and fun, and the aliens are ridiculous, and it's going to be a little scary, but never really. Like, my, my partner, who was really an anime, came in and watched a couple episodes with me and went, oh, so this is an American version of a Japanese sports anime, where <laughs> racing is the sport. I was like, okay, yeah, that's kind of fine with the the the... the the spy thing in the background and there's a good maybe 10 or 12 episodes that are about like will the team of like you know racers who are willing to cut corners convince our hero to to join with them or will the uh you know they get the special fuel or the fix the, the engine and it's all i don't know if i would have enjoyed it as much as i did if i wasn't coming off andor mm-hmm. but after something that was like you think you know who's a good guy nope you think you know who's a bad guy nope we're gonna punch you in the face with complexity and nuance every day mm-hmm. resistance was a really nice change of pace and so i'm just watching this cozy show and i'm watching this cozy show and i'm watching coziness and then all of a second it's like oh by the way you've just spent the last six episodes watching some of your best friend characters become fascists and you've done it in a way that you're a little bit sympathetic to them. And here's fascism. And here you've just learned how easily it is to be seduced by it. And oh, by the way, the person who you really most felt for, you're about to be emotionally devastated as his planet is destroyed. Have fun. I was just like, what What did this show do? Because out of nowhere, I mean, not out of nowhere, it built slowly, but it wound up becoming this really interesting statement on, in the way, well, I've said eight million things already, so I'm going to cut it off there, but it became this really interesting statement on like how the situ- how the first order could slowly come about and how you can have a show that feels really lighthearted all of a sudden become very serious very intense in a really good way yeah i was really kind of blindsided also by that mm-hmm. um but it makes me really excited for season 2 you know like it intru- yeah. introduced us to the characters it showed us their everyday life the little trials and tribulations of pretending mm-hmm. you're a mechanic when you don't know anything about machines and trying to be a spy, but you're literally 20 years old, you know? Right. So, um, yeah, I really appreciated the way it like slowly built the drama or like the seriousness of it. Like you said. Mm-hmm. For sure. One thing that I found that kind of turned me off about the sequels, although again, like I said, I, I, I'm not a hater of them. I do really enjoy some parts of them. And I really love Last Jedi and I love Rey and Finn. But I thought the story of the attempt to rebuild a republic after an empire and deal with the fragility of that, in part because we've seen so often around the world situations that are used to dictators try to start having democracy and often fail because of how difficult it is. I thought that was such an interesting story. And then with the sequels almost immediately said, okay, we're not going to actually tell you any about that. We're just going to say, here's the first order. Here's this resistance thing. And now we're right back to where we started with the first order is really in control and we're fighting against them. I was really disappointed because I, mm-hmm. I wanted to know the story of how does the first order come about? And I really enjoyed that. I feel like in the same way that for me, and this might be heresy, I realize. But um, in the same way that the Clone Wars kind of fill in a lot of the gaps of the prequels, this to me is kind of filling in the gaps of the sequels. You know, it's telling me, okay, how did that first, how did the New Republic fail and how did the First Order come about? Yeah, absolutely. 
Yeah, I appreciated that. Like, the First Order kind of was the underdogs. They were almost like the, like, gang trying to, like, move in, you know? They were paying off the pirates to attack the Colossus more and more in order to, like, make their importance greater. So that the First Order, they forced their way in, you know, in a very sneaky way. And I think that's just very realistic, and it's, like, scary how many times that has happened. Especially because, and we'll kind of go through all the characters in a little more detail in a bit, but we get this beautiful story of Tam, Tamara, who is, you know, one more awesome part of the team. And we see her wind up basically signing on with the First Order in a way that, you know, I know the First Order are terrible and fascists, but I'm not able to hate her for it. I'm, I'm, I'm watching her fall in a way that's like... I hate that I understand why you would do this and I can be sympathetic to your reasons. Yeah, it's 100% reasonable. It's like mm-hmm. she's just trying to have a life, be a mechanic, and these pirates are a big, big issue for her. And the First Order comes in and the pirates go away. And so yeah. she feels safer. Things are better for her. And she, you know, has this family around her. She has her boss, you know, this new kid, Kaz, that she's getting to know. Mm-hmm. Drives her crazy. But, you know, I I like to think she enjoys him, you know? Yeah, And so just her, like, trust and appreciation of the First Order compounded on the fact that some people she was really close to lied to her, you know? Right. It doesn't, to her, it doesn't matter the reasoning. It doesn't matter what they're trying to do. I think what really pushes her over the edge is just, you lied to me. Yeah. Yeah, and, and just to give people more of uh, the, the story, if you haven't seen uh, the first season, Kaz is our sort of main character, um, much more of a main character than we've gotten in a Star Wars show for a while in a way that I, at first I thought I would miss, but I, the family style, but I really enjoyed his character and that the voice acting is fantastic by Christopher Sean. And he is, he's, he, he starts out as a pilot in the new Republic Navy, um, and an X-Wing pilot. He come, he, he meets up with Poe Dameron and Poe sees him do some really fancy flying and says, Hey, we should, you should actually like help me with this project. Because because he is interested in the resistance, he's kind of bored in the New Republic Navy, and so he he wants to join the resistance. And Poe says, "Great, I'm going to put you on this platform, which is kind of like it, it, it's like Daytona with the Daytona races. You know, it's like this independent thing that exists for uh, starship racing, or well, in in or it, within an atmosphere, but uh, fancy flying and things like that. And he wants him there to pose as a mechanic." while trying to learn if the First Order is coming in to take this, take over this platform. And so most of the season is the hijinks of him trying to be a mechanic while every now and then doing some actual spy stuff. Um, and, and as you said, it's towards the end that they realize that he, he has to admit he's been lying this whole time and he is a resistant spy. And that part of why the crew that he's on, and we'll go through the characters in a bit, uh, are all in such danger is because of him. And so that's all the more reason why Tam, I think, feels so betrayed by his lie, because now not only is she in danger in ways that make her want the First Order, it's specifically because of this guy having done these, having lied to her for so long. Yeah. Um, I do want to real quick clarify. When I said I was a post-quill hater, I think... You you did not use the word hater, so I want to defend you, and I didn't didn't mean to paint you as that. Okay, okay, cool. (laughs) I just, I want to clarify. Like, I really enjoyed... The first two movies, like The Last Jedi mm-hmm. was really good, had some great, um, like the qualities that you've talked about, the deeper nuances and all that right. stuff. But um, and The Force Awakens was just so fun. But I think yeah. why I look back on it with such like 
a sour taste in my mouth is because of the way we were let down by Rise of Skywalker. It yep. didn't yep, yep. pay anything off. And also, you know, Force Awakens, there was the disappointment of, oh, there goes the New Republic. We spent a whole trilogy trying to form this, and now it's gone like that, mm-hmm. in a blink. Yeah. And so that's something I really appreciated about the Resistance, or Resistance, mm-hmm. um, right. is the way it did kind of pay that off. Like, the Starkiller Base Massacre, that's what I'm going to call it, has mm-hmm. never hit home for me. Like, I yeah, saw it, and I was... We'd never heard the word Hosnian Prime before Hosnian Prime got destroyed. Exactly. Exactly. It's like we saw this one shot with lasers going out into the sky and planets exploding and some shocked faces, but we never saw someone who was actually affected personally by it. And so then when we have Kaz, this like fun-loving, really upbeat guy, he's like trying to do the right thing, but, you know, not trying to hurt anyone's feelings. He believes the best in everyone. And just to see him absolutely crushed by it. Right. Like, we know... Because part of what we learn is that his family is on Hosnian Prime. So for him, it's very personal. Yeah, exactly. That's his... Like, his dad was a senator in the New Republic, and we know the entire New Republic just got destroyed. Right. So there goes his family. And one thing that I really got out of that... I'm I'm not sure if you... One thing that really hit me hard about that was... For me, there's a real parallel to him because he literally watches on view screens the destruction of of Hosnian Prime, and it felt very similar to me to uh, Leia watching the destruction of Alderaan, Mm -hmm. especially because um, some of his uh, family members, you know, his found family, the crew on the ship, find him and comfort him, and you know, there's kind of been a a joke, but but also with a lot of seriousness in terms of how like. In the 70s, we treated women's emotions that Leia has her entire world blown up. But then when Luke has the guy who he's known for about three days as his mentor die, Leia comforts Luke. Mm-hmm. But we never see much of like Leia being comforted about her planet being destroyed. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I I don't know if it was intentionally a reference to that. But for me, those moments of Kaz watching that happen and being horrified it, it made the destruction feel so much more real, but also it just felt like a really nice reference to the fact that this has happened before. Yeah. Yeah. So let's go back and talk about some of the individual characters, because there really is a, a kind of fun little found family kind of thing that they have here, as well as some great side characters. Uh, Kaz is our hero. What would you feel about Kaz? Because he's a very different kind of uh, hero than we often get. Yeah. Um, Kaz... At first, it felt very reminiscent to, like, season one Ezra. Like, mm. just running around the station, trying to avoid, you know, people that he's done wrong. Oh, I'll pay you back later. It's also kind of a Cassian thing. Like, oh, I'll pay you back later. Trying to talk his way out of everything. Getting a favor from someone else to go pay back someone else. Like, I just mm-hmm. felt like I was seeing this the episode of Rebels where Ezra has to go find the uh, yeah. whatever fruit that is. Um, Melora, Melorin. The, yeah, the Melu run. Um, yeah, so I just loved, like, I feel like he has, I looked it up, the character is um, 20, but I feel like being a boy, a lot of times maturity takes a little while to catch up. So it's like he's trying to do this really important thing, but he's just like so excited about it that he keeps doing things wrong. <laughs> yeah. 
I, I think that's really true. And Ezra's an interesting connection because you're right. In a lot of ways, they share that kind of youthful exuberance. Uh-huh. But where Ezra is very like, you know, he's very jaded and cynical and street smart. Yeah. Kaz is the exact opposite. And I mean, we realize we've never really gotten this kind of like son of privilege character in this way before where he's just he, part of what he's doing all the running around is he's never really had real consequences in his life, you know, and now all of a sudden, if he screws up, this crew of people who don't have a senator father to bail them out can get in real trouble. And I just want to say a quick word about Christopher Shaw, the actor who's voice acting him, because I think he's really good. And, and such a difference in the kind of character we're getting. He's a, a Japanese-American actor. Uh, many people saw him on Hawaii Five-0, or they may have seen him on um, uh, some soap opera stuff. Uh, he's also uh, – he wrote the book Padawan, which is one of my favorite books of the, the recent Star Wars books, which is really awesome. And it was really nice to get like a person of color perspective on that. I will just say, though, going a little bit obscure – if you're a Jane Austen fan and you've seen the Lizzie Bennet Diaries, which I think is one of the best retellings of Pride and Prejudice, he redefines romantic hero himbo because he plays Bing Lee, who is the modern day equivalent for Bing Lee in the Pride and Prejudice story. And it is just, he is so good in it. He is so lovable. He's so pure. And so when I, re- when I put together who that character was, it made me so happy because, yeah, that that's who's voice acting Kaz. And... Like, Kaz is the kind of person who, if he wasn't incredibly charismatic, I would want to slap. Yeah. Because he is constantly overstepping what he's supposed to do and constantly letting down other people because he's doing the thing that he wants instead of realizing this thing has consequences for other people. Mm-hmm. But Sean just makes him so likable in a way that you're like, you understand why everyone around him is like, oh, God, I'm having to clean up your mess again. Yep. But it's worth it. Yep. Like the episode where he lost not one. Not two, but I believe it was three engines over the side of the Colossus. I was like, this kid's an idiot. Like, what is going on? (laughs) Like, come on, you had one job. But you're right. Like, where that would be just annoying or like an overdone joke in another character, it just like makes sense for his personality. You know, like Mm -hmm. the child of privilege who's just doing his best, but doesn't understand consequences necessarily. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I worked for a year in a Toyota service shop, like fix as a, you know, I, I'm not a mechanic myself, but like helping, you know, I was helping the administration for it. And if I had lost three engines, if I'd lost one engine, I would be fired in suit mm-hmm. for the cost of that engine. So like everything you see around it is it, just really interesting. I also really appreciated and in part, this it, it's funny, I've just been watching the early Young Justice show, which I don't know if you've seen. But it has something that animated shows in live action, especially animated shows of like superhero type stuff had a lot, which is one of the teenage male characters being really horrible in how he's always flirting and coming on to all the women around him. But it's played as like, oh, but he's just silly. It's funny. Mm -hmm. You know, it's fine. And the fact that in this, like, yeah, it's clear that he gets a little stupid around pretty women. Um, which, you know, some of us still do 30 years later, yeah. well, like, people any genders, but whatever. But like the, the point being, but there is, there isn't a romance plot. There's a number of young women who are potential flirtations for him. And there's a little bit of flirtation maybe somewhere, but like, like, don't get me wrong. I don't mind romance all the time, but I hate when it feels forced. And I love that they didn't give him a romantic plot with anyone. He just was around these other people. Yeah. Yeah. No, I... I appreciated that, too. I feel like I didn't notice it until you just pointed it out because it wasn't lacking. Like, there was no need right. for a romantic plot. 
they, yeah. it was so lacking that the one time that Toro was like, I know why you're here. Like, I understand why you came to see me. He's so clueless. He doesn't understand what she's saying. Yeah. And she thinks he's into her. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. It, it's it's just, it, it felt much more realistic in that way. Mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, like people, you know, hormones are going doing their things, but still people are just living their lives. Yeah. Just an overall thought or thing that I loved about the show was the, similar to Andor, the lack of lightsabers and the Force. Yes. Yes. And... I can't remember, but I think in Andor, the Force, is it mentioned or is it like alluded to at all? I very, very, I think, I think there's one or two references to it. Yeah. But yeah, the, no, never a lightsaber. There's no, no Jedi ever anywhere. No Sith, no Inquisitors. Exactly. It, it's not a part of the world. And in this show, it's the same thing. There's literally no mention of the Force. Like I looked up on Wikipedia. That's the Wikipedia mm-hmm. for Star Wars. But I looked up Kaz <clears throat> and it said... In, like, one of the character statements, like, oh, he doesn't, like, believe in the Force. And I was like, right. oh, like, we haven't even seen that yet in the show because it just wasn't relevant. Like. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. And, like, I kept waiting for him to. Because I remember when I started um, Rebels, mm-hmm. I knew nothing about it. I was very excited about it. But I was a little disappointed when it turned out Ezra was force sensitive and the show was going to be about Jedi because I was like, no, this is a post order 66 show. This is a couple of years before Yoda will say Luke is the only one. Oh, but wait, he has a sister. Never mind. <laughs> um, and, I, and, and I love Rebels. Don't get me wrong. But I, but I wanted a show that was no force users and that was about a different part of the galaxy. And you're right, Andor gave us that. And, and Resistance does as well. And it makes it's one more reason why I think I like Kaz so much as a character because he's not a chosen one. Mm-hmm. There's a joke where he makes a joke to a, a very literal character that we'll talk about in a bit about how he's the greatest pilot in the uni- in the galaxy and he has to live it down because he's not. He's a very good pilot and he gets better um, and, and it's paid off in a great way, but he's not, he's not the greatest or the best. He's just a good guy with a good heart who wants to do well, who, 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 who isn't a Jedi or who isn't a great pilot. He's, he's just a guy. Yeah. So let's talk about the um, because this was one area that I really loved, but also had a few few issues. Uh, the the very literal character I mentioned is a an alien named Niku Vozo, and do you know what race he is? He looks familiar, but I I don't think they ever identified what race he's from. Yes, he's Nikto, so um, okay. that's the same race as Jedi Ima Gundi, if you remember him. He was in the Clone Wars, mm-hmm. but um, they kind of okay. have these yep. little horns on their face. And what we've seen in the past is they're typically always brown skinned. But mm-hmm. that's why I didn't place Nico at Niku, Niku at first as a Nikto because right. he has green skin. But I looked it up; they can have brown, brown, green, or red skin. So, right. Okay, well that's cool. And does everyone of his race have the, have the same like? take everything incredibly literally or is that specific to him that is specific to him okay because i thought that was a really it's interesting how in more recent television especially sci-fi and fantasy as people become more and more aware of neurodivergence we're aware that in some ways we've always had characters who are kind of stand in for neurodivergence like Mm -hmm. going back to spock and then data and and sometimes it's it's done in ways that feel like it's insulting neurodivergence and sometimes it's ways that are really affirming too and and certainly i mean for myself as someone who's neurodivergent like i've i I found a lot of affirmation and seeing that even going back to spock and data and all those and i think often that's intentional and i think niku is very much supposed to be that character he is he takes everything incredibly literally 
he often causes problems because the way he takes things literally and and he does things like for example with um kaz making a joke to him about being the greatest pilot and then niku just goes around the station telling everyone hey it's wonderful the greatest pilot in the galaxy is here mm -hmm. and i found his character charming and I, I i felt the way that they all sort of welcomed him and accepted him and never really teased him about this really nice but it also felt frustrating to me because the thing that never happens is no one they, they keep getting into trouble because he does it, and they get frustrated with him, at least in the moment. But no one ever says to him, like, hey, here's the disconnect we're having, and I want you to understand, like, here's why it seems sometimes you do what you think is the right thing and we get mad at you. Like, no one ever tries to actually bridge the gap in a way that is not telling him he's bad and needs to be normal, but just kind of acknowledging, like, and trying to find better ways to communicate between the two of them. And I... I, I just found that a bit frustrating because I feel like if you're going to have that character, then maybe try to have a little more uh, of that dialogue. But I'm curious, what did you think of that character? I really enjoyed Niku. I thought, mm -hmm. yeah, it was really fun to have a character who is coded more neurodivergent. Um, and I was appreciative that no one was like mean to him. You know, that was my fear. I was like, yeah, he can't keep his so. mouth shut. Like, he takes everything literally, you know, like Kaz sees some stormtroopers. He's like, why is the First Order here? Nico's like, I'll go ask them and walks yeah. over to the stormtroopers. <laughs> My friend Kaz is wondering why you're here, you know, <laughs> and it's just wonderfully enjoyable. But um, mm -hmm. yeah, it almost feels like having a lack of like a conversation between people trying to like help him understand or like help bridge the gap. Like you said, I feel like. Right. I wonder if that's left out so they can continue to play the comedic side of him mm -hmm. kind of just speaking his mind and not understanding things. Right. Yeah, I think that's probably true. And I think that's resistance is by no means the only ones who do that, mm -hmm. you know, and I think for me, it's, it's both it is wonderful. And like you said, that those moments are often comedic and the fact that. Like, it, it, it doesn't go well when he asks the First Order why they're there. But there's never a moment where something really bad happens and it's Niku's fault. You know, like, it could have been very easy to have Niku be the one to reveal that Kaz is the spy. Yeah. Or to have him give some information that allows the First Order to, like, do really bad things. But the fact that you're right, there's no real consequences to it. I, I really enjoy that. and it, But I, th I think you're right. It, it is that, like, well, we're going to keep keep having him this way, though, just because... We're, we're trying to laugh with him, but we do want to keep him as a comedic character instead of actually diving into this, this difference in communication. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a bit of a loss, but it's also I'm glad the character's there. I enjoy him. and For sure. He's definitely like the most loving and accepting person, I would say, in yes. the show. Yeah. And it's especially shown Very in that so. episode when they find this stingy little animal and everyone's like, ew, disgusting. And Niku's like, oh, yeah. that's my bet. That's my best friend. He's my little buddy. Mm -hmm. Don't you dare say anything mean about him or I will quit and I will walk away. Right. And and it goes pretty deep there because it, it, what it turns out is that this little thing that he's loved is the baby of this huge sea monster mm -hmm. that's attacking the platform and maybe going to destroy the platform. And while it gets to a point where you're sort of like... Okay, are we sacrificing one for the for the good of like so many more, which is not a a good thing, but I understand it. 
But even long before that, people are like, eh, just throw it overboard. Like, we can mm -hmm. kill that little thing. And a lot of them are like, we, why should we save it? Because it's ugly, because it's smelly, and yeah. all of this stuff. And yeah, I love that he's the like, no, this is a living thing, and it's beautiful, and I love it. And and no, I'm not... And it's only when he believes, and he's the one who figures out, that this mother is actually just there for... Not to eat its child, but not but to, to, to find... Well, not to eat this creature, but to bring it back, because it's his child, yeah. their, their child... That, that Nico was willing to go along with it. Yeah. So the next probably biggest character, at least one of them, is a Jaeger. Uh, well, I want to call him Jaeger because that's how it's spelled. And okay. it's clearly a reference to Jaeger, the, the American test pilot, who was a uh, Brooklyn Soundberry and all that. But he's pronounced Jaeger or Jaeger. It's like Jaeger, a Jaeger, pronounced different Jaeger, yeah. What do you think of his character? Because he's kind of like the gruff. He's the head of the, the, the mechanic uh shop he knows what kaz is really doing he's not happy about it would you what do you think about his character and their growth i liked him um i wasn't like sure about him at first like he just kind of seemed yeah just like the gruff character that's like sure whatever you can hang around almost like the grief carga from like mandalorian mm -hmm. like similar to that um just kind of like you do what you do but i still need to do what i need to do Right. And what you do better not affect what I'm trying to do. Right. Um, but the growth we got mid-season um, with the episode with his <clears throat> brother, mm -hmm. I really enjoyed. Like it – because we learned earlier in the season Kaz finds pictures that he was um, in the rebellion against the Empire and then finds pictures mm -hmm. of him with a wife and a child. And so they know Yeager had a family and now he doesn't. And then later on, right. we find out it was due to, like, I think a racing accident. And it was kind of mm -hmm. his brother's fault. Right. And Very much so. So there's this huge rift between them. He wants nothing to do with his brother. His brother's feeling, like, guilty, trying to make amends. But he's still that, like, kind of that egotistical pilot. So he's having trouble mm -hmm. communicating like how poorly he feels and like how much he wants to make amends. Mm -hmm. And so I think it was nice seeing a softer side of eager cause he's been so kind of rough around the edges, you know, he has a soft spot for Kaz. Obviously he's willing to help him out, keeps him around, even though right. he's kind of a fool, but um, <laughs> yeah, it was nice to see something affect him more personally and see more of mm -hmm. like, who he used to be or the person that he is that he's yeah. protecting with all that gruffness. He does very much go on a journey. And in a way, if if Kaz is kind of like Ezra, I think he's kind of like Kanan mm -hmm. in that Kanan, you know, and a lot of this happens before the the movies in, in the, the Kanan book. But Kanan's the one who's very jaded from his time in the Clone Wars and has to he doesn't want to teach Ezra. He doesn't want to be a Jedi again and has to very slowly kind of come back into that. And of course, by the end of the season, Yeager is not only he's willing to fly a ship and help fight against the the First Order, but he and then he does at the end acknowledge that Kaz is a very good pilot in a way that feels like a really nice payoff to all the stuff that started at the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. I also felt like, you know, we've, we've talked a lot about how during Andor, we talked a lot about how race is quite different in Star Wars, but also is there. Yeager is is, is dark skinned. He's is 
he's black, uh, and I'm just being a little careful with words because it's clear that the race means something very different in Star Wars, but I think it is very intentional there, especially with Kaz also, both the voice actor and the character, the way he is drawn, looks uh, what we would think of as Asian. Mm-hmm. And there's a, there's a lot of diversity like that on the show, and I feel like, especially for Jaeger, it, it, it helps his character a lot, I think, and, and the voice actor is also black, um, because part of what I get a lot is that he is much more working class than Kaz is. You know, for him, it's not just like he wants this mechanic thing to happen because he wants to be this mechanic. It's like, no, this is how he puts food on the table. Yeah. This is how he pays the bills and makes his living. And he he's really angry at the fact that um, Poe, by kind of saddling, saddling him with this, but then also Kaz, by constantly screwing up and not taking it seriously is threatening to wreck, wreck his business. And as we kind of learned with the, with the brother, like this is all he has left in a lot of ways. Yeah. Yeah, like he definitely, I feel like, is in a broken era of his life. He's mm-hmm. trying to rebuild, but also doesn't really have the passion or excitement to rebuild anything that's like personal to him. So he's just trying mm-hmm. to, you know, pay the bills, have a business, interact with his employees as he needs but it's nice to see him grow through the show to like instead of just always yelling at Kaz when he's late which is always um so he deserves to be yelled at (laughs) about being late but also you know giving him some slack like oh you should go work on this engine outside so that you can Mm -hmm. see the race but Yeager's not gonna say go watch the race he's gonna say I'll let you work on this outside Right. And so he starts to soften Although once... up. Go, keep going, sir. Yeah, he starts to soften up. And then by the end of the show, he's seen, you know, the negative effects of the First Order. And he's grown to care about Kaz and care about his employees. He wants what's best for them. And so he's to the point where he's willing to take the fall for Kaz. He says, no, I'm the spy. Right. Like, I'm with the Resistance. When he told Poe, I want nothing to do with this. He can have a roof, yeah. but this isn't. This isn't me. This is not what I want. Right. It's not his fight. Exactly. Exactly. So seeing kind of the growth and like why he exited the fight, you know, learning that backstory, but kind of seeing his willingness and like understanding that like, yeah, it is time to like get back into it and see what Mm -hmm. I can do to help the world kind of or galaxy. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's a really powerful story. And I think in part his connection with Tamara is also why, because Tamara's another one of the mechanics, and he, Tamara often feels like she's getting slighted because Kaz is here and Kaz can get away with murder and things like uh-huh. that. And he he really is very careful with her and really helping her to be like, no, 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 you're, you're a very trusted part of this team. And I think when she goes to the First Order, he, part of why it's so devastating is that he really feels so, he's he's the one who, one of the feel, ones who feels so hurt by this. And I, uh-huh. I appreciate it. It, it. He doesn't act like he's betrayed or that he's angry with her as much as he's just really sad that yeah. like she, she, because he understands that to her eyes, it's in part because Yeager let her down because Yeager knew Kaz's secret this whole time. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like Yeager kind of feels some responsibility for her, like mm-hmm. wanting to be there and support her. Like he sees how hardworking she is. And how she's just trying to do, you know, the right thing as best she knows. And he wants to, like, like you said, kind of encourage her through what's happening with Kaz and how she doesn't understand, Mm -hmm. like, why does this guy, why can he get away with murder, you know? Right. And I think 
it almost, I mean, I don't know, I'm not a parent, but it almost felt like parental, his um, relationship with her. And then when she goes, him just accepting that. And he says, yeah. like, no, she made her choice. Like, we asked. I, I think that. It, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, we asked her back and she made her choice. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's really true. And I think it definitely. And in some ways, I appreciate that they don't make it a bigger deal. Like, they don't have him say, like, you're like my, my replacement child mm-hmm. or you're, you're like a daughter to me. Because, yeah, he did lose his children. And I, I, it just would feel wrong to do that. But there is that bond between the two of them. And, yeah, it's it, it's heartbreaking. But it's it's. It, him doing it, I think, also really helps to me emphasize, underline this idea of, yeah, good people can get sucked into these things and not realize. And and even like saying good people can, I'm not saying that like like there's lots of good people in the Empire. That's absolutely not, you know, ACAB and all that. But like, I, I definitely feel that like she goes into this for the right reasons and she gets hoodwinked and fooled and like... I wish that we had seen her reaction to the destruction of Hosnian Prime because I do think that she, she, it's not a big public thing at that point yet. I don't know if she knows that it's happened and I, or did I miss something? Should we, we didn't see her react to it, did we? I don't think so. I'm inclined to think that she doesn't know. I yeah. kind of feel that whoever that um, first order kind of officer is, that's like convincing her, caring for her, you know, like trying to bring her under mm-hmm. her wing and like, recruit her you know i think they would have avoided her seeing that to really get yeah. her to buy in i think it's probably very true so what other characters listed out for you you want to mention hmm i i don't know what i think about this character but the character of commander pike was just interesting they took captain mm-hmm. phasma and made her gold (laughs) and so it's just a gold version of captain phasma as far as i could tell captain phasma voiced by gwendolyn christie was in the first episode Mm -hmm. and as far as i could tell commander pike was just we want he said we want captain phasma we can't afford to get gwendolyn (laughs) christie on all these episodes so we're going to create a stand-in who then reports to 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 christie yeah yeah Yeah, that's 100 percent true i just thought it was kind of funny Mm -hmm. it's like oh Walmart version Phasma. <laughs> yeah, very much so. And it's part of why, and here, as I said, we have a time-honored tradition of not remembering names of characters. The 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 female First Order agent who is kind of the leader towards the end and is the one who like basically recruits Tamara, I, I really liked her character in part because unlike Pike, she's clearly lying through her teeth, but she comes across much more like, no, 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 we're, we're just here to help. We, uh-huh. we hate that you're going through all this chaos. And, oh, by the way, if we're going to help, you need to let us have a little more control and a little more control and a little more control. And she does a good job of paint. Like, you see her alternating between, like, the, the carrot, the stick in terms of getting uh, Tam involved. And it's, it, 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 in some ways, it makes her a lot scarier uh-huh. than someone like Pike because oh, yeah. Pike is just rah, 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 I'm mad, I'm, I'm going to punish people, where she's she's convincing in some ways that are horrifying. Yeah, she's cunning. She's very intelligent, and she knows how to mm-hmm. get what she wants. That's how it comes off. Yeah. And to me, it just felt like her and Tam, was, it's just like an indoctrination into a cult, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, that's exactly yeah, how it felt so. to me. It's just like, oh, like, we can treat you better, we can give you things that are better, like, these people that lied mm-hmm. to you, like, let's take you away from them, you know? 
Yeah. And that's like a big thing in cults is removing someone from their like support system. Mm -hmm. And so I just think that was interesting. Yeah, I think the cult's a perfect description. And it, in some ways, it fits very well coming so soon off Andor, where if you haven't seen Andor yet, I I don't know what you're doing with your life. (laughs) Um, I'll try not to spoil it. And it's fine. It might not be for some people. And that's legit. But in Andor, there are characters who we see become more and more in like a part of and believing in the empire and it feels like that same thing one of my guests during andor described it as like watching someone get radicalized into like being an incel or being at a QAnon. and i think this is very similar yeah you know i another the other character who to me was really kind of interesting and and made me think a lot was captain doza and his daughter Mm -hmm. um primarily captain doza captain doza is he's the head of this whole thing which is a little curious that he's a captain because, like, I don't – he's treating it like it's a ship, but it's also, like, a private money – so I don't know if he's the owner or if he's just the captain and there's some, like, far-off owners or whatever. Yeah. Never really explained. That's fine. Uh, I'm one of the only ones who wants, like, the economics of the military <laughs> of the, the galaxy. I don't understand how you have an entire economy based on heavy metal. Like, there's no credit or paper money. But anyway, my diversion's over. Um, but he's someone who – his biggest he he wants to run this 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 uh you know community and keep it safe and keep it functional and keep it profitable and he doesn't want trouble and he but he also isn't a terrible person and you see him like he's the one who is slowly giving up more control to the first order and you can see that he doesn't like it but he's kind of reluctantly doing it and we learn at some point that he was part of the empire way back in the day and that he has a lot of regrets about that but also He's just, he's not like even living his life in guilt. He's just trying to go ahead with his life. And I just really liked his character because I think that's when we get stories about like huge civil wars, whether it's in like a city or a country or a planet or a galaxy, after the war's over, the the people who are on both sides have to learn to live with each other again. And we don't yeah. often get that story. And, you know, as things like Andor reminding us like not everyone who's involved on with the empire is like, you know, 100% rah, rah fascism. They're often like, eh, like, okay, it's fine, I guess, which to me is not great to be very clear, but it's still like watching the story, especially of Kaz learning this about him and, and seeing them have to get along and seeing his journey of starting to give into the first order start, but finally reaching a point of like, no, I can't do this anymore. And him kind of helping to lead the fight against them. I just really loved his arc and his story. Yeah, I agree. I think what you said about, like, his time in the Empire is very true. Like, he did it, and looking back, has regrets. Like, he sees where the Empire was wrong. And I think that's why Mm -hmm. he's so cautious about the First Order. Why he holds on for so long, just letting the pirates attack. Why he keeps pushing back. You know, Commander Pyre's like, okay, like, you need to get back on it back to us on this deal like we want you to sign these papers and we'll come move in and doza's like okay when are you gonna move out pyre's like we'll figure that out when we figure it out sign the papers Mm -hmm. let us know immediately and doza keeps trying to push it back and like push back this decision because i think he knows it's wrong and he sees that the first order is becoming the empire and he doesn't want to be a part of it again but he's also put in that rock and hard place position where it seems to be the only way to keep his station safe. Right. And sometimes his daughter safe because yes. she is 
She's a part of things. She's the one who we mentioned before, who really sweet character, a little bit privileged and full of herself uh -huh. and just assumes, well, this young man is, is coming to find me. Of course he wants to flirt with me because why wouldn't he, uh -huh. you know? Like, I can imagine her having a very active social media presence. In some oh, yeah. Ways, yeah. You know? <laughs> um, yeah. Um, the other two I wanted to bring up and get your thoughts on, and unfortunately, again, my my lack of name memory, the, the two people who run the kind of shop that, that they, they pop up every like four or five episodes or so, including Kaz having to one time run the shop. Do you remember their names? I think it's is Hype, is Hype and Griff, those two. Anyway, if you've seen the show, you know who I'm talking about. They're 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 and they're portrayed as kind of two like grumbly mechanics who who get along with each other. Um uh, with some interesting stuff going on there. What would you think of their characters? Um I mean, I liked them. They felt like it felt like if you've seen Bad Batch, a lot like kind of like bar that the Bad Batch is functioning out of gruff very like oh you have mm -hmm. to pay me somehow you know like oh you right. don't have money i'm gonna put all these parts back like i sorry i don't mm -hmm. care like i know we're buds but like you gotta you know as kaz did you have to work literally in our shop if you want mm -hmm. things from us well and so here's what i here's why i was asking because i don't know if I'm definitely that person who wants to see queer characters everywhere. Mm -hmm. These two are not portrayed as being very romantic to each other. They're bickering in the way that could be like the guys from like Click and Clack, if those who know NPR. Um, but they keep talking about like, okay, and then we just went to go visit your mother mm -hmm. and we're going to go visit your parents now. And I was like, is this supposed to be old married couple bickering instead of um, like two old friends? Because just the re the way they reference going to visit their families, mm -hmm. I was like, is this Disney sneaking in some queer coding? I don't know. Did you see that at all, or am I just am I just seeing that because I want to see it? Um, no, they are very much in love. Okay. Like I okay. would agree <laughs> with that. They yeah, it just seemed like an old married couple like running a shop. You know, they disagree with each other. They fight with other people. You know, but. Mm -hmm. Same thing, you know, like they're going to see one of their mothers and have family yeah. dinner and, you know, the other one's not necessarily thrilled about it because in-laws. So mm -hmm. I agree with that, that it was kind of, <clears throat> it seemed to be queer coded to me, which yep. is always, always lovely to see. And it's lovely when it's subtle, you know, it's not like hidden, yeah. but it's also not shoved in your face because it is just a normal part of the world. Right. It doesn't define their characters in any way. Mm -hmm. And like... I still, I would, I would like to have it shoved in my face at least once in Star Wars, just to have like, you know, like can can Vel and Cinta like kiss on the mouth, please, please just once or twice, um, and give us some main characters. But yeah, I agree that also having it be so much more normalized of like, yeah, it's not a big deal to anyone. It's just these two aliens who are really are in love with each other and go to see each other's parents. Mm -hmm. and who the hell knows what else is going on? Mm -hmm. You know, that was really nice. Yeah. All right, well, we've had a really great discussion about this. Is there any other other characters or just storylines or, or plots in general that you wanted to bring up from the show? Yeah, I wanted to bring up the character Sonara San. Mm, she yeah. is the pirate that um, Poe and Kaz rescue her on an abandoned space station that, like, something has gone wrong. Pirates tried to raid it, and then they accidentally let these dangerous animals out of the cage. And so they find Sonara, and she's unconscious, and they're like, oh, this must be someone who was working on this station before the pirates attack. Like, let's take her, get her medical attention, all that good stuff. Mm -hmm. They take her, bring her to the Colossus, get her fixed up, and she gets a job. But um, 
we find out that she is a pirate. You know, she wasn't right. a crew member. <clears throat> and she's still communicating with the lead pirate. Should have wrote down his name, but whatever. <laughs> um, and I liked that, you know, at first she, like, was a pirate spy. You know, very much mm -hmm. doing things for the pirates, helping them... You know, finding the best times to attack the station, helping them break into the tower um, to try and kidnap Tora, um, Captain Doza's daughter. Um, but I liked that she didn't have that full character turnaround where she turned her back on the pirates, said, I'm done with you guys, and decided to live mm -hmm. her life as a scavenger. She, when the pirates attacked the station, she did punch one of them in the face to try to keep her cover. But then later on, when the First Order is hunting her the pirates are still the one who come and pick her up. Like, that's still right. kind of her found family. And I liked that, that the pirates weren't fully demonized, that it's like, yeah, they are kind of, they are their own family. They're a group yeah. of people who care about each other, who this is just their way of making their way through the world, which um, is, you know, illegal and not the best, but mm -hmm. just a simple man trying to make their way in the world. Um. <laughs> <laughs> they reminded me a lot of the pirates and other uh, kind of scum and villainy types in Clone Wars. Because, yes. Especially because at first you see them as working for the First Order, which I was a little disappointed by. But then, yeah, later, and in part because uh, she doesn't like having to capture the daughter of the, the captain. Um, and, and then, you know, throughout the show, she does become closer to Kaz. She does become closer to Yeager and the rest of them. And and so then by the end, the pirates do show up to help fight the First Order. Yeah. And it, it felt very much kind of like a, you know, ever since Han, Han Solo becomes part of the rebellion pretty darn quickly. Mm -hmm. But with characters, especially like Hondo Anaka, who's my personal all-time fave, and, and some of the others, you've always had the sense of like, the pirates are kind of doing their own thing. Kind of like the Mandalorians. You know, sometimes they'll be on our side, sometimes they won't be. But but seeing them be a lot more complicated, you're right. It 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 would have been disappointing if she was just like, no, okay, uh, this cause is so important and the pirates are mean and Kaz, you're so pretty that I'm gonna join up with you all. And, and I like what you said that it's it, I think it makes a better story that it, that doesn't happen. Yeah, yeah, it didn't feel like an overplayed um, trope. Yeah, yeah. Especially because actually, I'll take back a little of what I said before. They do, her and Kaz do have some degree of flirtation, certainly to the point that everyone else is teasing Kaz mm -hmm. about like, you seem very interested in spending a lot of time with her. Yeah. But yeah, again, there, like, how many times have we seen the morally conflicted woman fall for a good man and thus decide to give it all up, mm -hmm. you know? And it's it just kind of sexist and eye rolling. Yeah. And it was really nice to not get that no it was i i had written down here as one of my favorite scenes was i don't remember what the situation was but kaz and sonara were i think running from someone and they get into this elevator mm -hmm. and it's just a shot of them standing in the elevator really like awkward elevator music playing sonara clears her mm -hmm. throat kaz is like what she's like what and then the door opens and they start getting off and then someone comes in and they realize it's the wrong floor and they turn around, they get back on. <laughs> and I just thought that was a really funny and realistic way to show like tension, mm -hmm. but like not overplay the romanticism and without it being like, oh, these people are both clearly into each other. It's just like, no, there's just some tension there. You know, it's just a little yeah. awkward because... Maybe they recognize, like, Kaz obviously recognizes, oh, she's pretty, you know? Right. I'm not sure what she thinks of him, but it was just yeah. kind of a funny and scene to me. 
No, I, I think you're really right. because, And again, it, you could really reduce her character so much by just saying, oh, she falls for him and so that's why she changes. Okay. And and it's not. Like, I think at the start, I think she's definitely flirting with him because it's she sees that it's a good way to get more information and to get more uh, inside. Does she develop some actual feelings for him? Who knows? And maybe we'll see that paid off in season two and maybe we won't. And I certainly didn't feel like it needed to be. I, I thought it was much better leaving it out. Yeah, I feel like... The thing that kind of changed Sonara, if she, she does have sort of a character change, although she doesn't leave the pirates, she does have a change of heart. Um, and I think what really did that was Tam. It wasn't Kaz. It wasn't her yeah. falling in love or anything like that. But it was when the pirates attacked and Tam came to find her. Tam was like, oh, she's mm -hmm. in danger. I That's my friend. I need to go get her. And Sonara was like, why did you come for me? Tam was like, right. well, obviously I will. And so I think that's kind of what makes her character change. And it's also, like, it's nice to see that in Tam. That, mm -hmm. like, she really does care about her friends. And I think that that goes into why the betrayal of Yeager and Kaz hurts so much. And yeah. how that pushes her towards the First Order more. Yeah, because in some ways Tam is probably the most of the found family kind of aspect mm -hmm. of it. In really powerful ways. Yeah. All right, so I've been kind of driving the conversation for a while, but I know you had a lot of thoughts. I'm going to kind of hand it over to you. What, what are some of the last things you wanted to touch on? Yeah, I really liked – there was this one scene and quote specifically where it was, I think, just all the mechanics hanging out. They were having lunch and talking about the First Order. Kaz is like, why are they here? You know, They're everywhere. You can't do anything without them. And Tam is like, um, actually, I feel safer with them here on board. Mm -hmm. And you know, the pirates are gone. Like, I don't see an issue. And Nico goes – I do feel a lot safer in a threatened by the military kind of way. Yeah. And I just thought, I was like, <laughs> Niku calls it how it is. Like, he knows what's up. Like, that's exactly it is, what yeah. it is. Like, you might feel safer, but it comes with a consequence. Right. Yeah. And that, and to me, again, that's one of those times where Star Wars feels so real. You know, I, I lived in New York City when Giuliani came on, came into, ta into power. And yeah, it did feel, for me as a white person, it felt like there was less chance of me being mugged while walking around the city, which at me at 16 felt like a good thing. Mm -hmm. When then I later realized like how many of my freedoms, but more importantly, the freedoms of people who didn't look like me were being restricted to make that happen. And that actually a lot of that sense of danger that I felt was a lot more forced and manufactured. I looked at it very differently. But yeah, I can get Niku's feeling of like on the surface, it does feel like you're safer now. But also with a, a much scarier thing looming over you and, and yeah. making really kind of question, like, what does safe mean yeah. in a situation like that? Yeah, I think that was just like a really good way because it is resistance is kind of geared towards kids. You know, it's more of a kid's yeah. show. And I think that that was just a good line to clarify it to the younger like mm -hmm. audience and help them like understand the different sides of it. Exactly. Um, other than that, I just wanted to bring up Poe because yeah. I loved Poe in Force Awakens mm -hmm. and then felt like, I mean, I'm going to be honest, I haven't seen The Last Jedi or Rise of Skywalker very much. I think only mm -hmm. once each, but I felt like Poe, he definitely went through like a character arc in the post schools. You know, there was that situation yeah. where he did something wrong and Leia coached him and whatnot. Mm -hmm. But I kind of liked to see where he came from, like the height of Poe being, you know, the 
poster boy of the resistance, him in all his right. like egotistical glory. But still, you know, he's fighting for the right thing and all that. So I kind of liked seeing like Poe at his height almost before mm-hmm. he falls and has to learn. Right. Yeah, it felt like we were told but never really shown. Like we we, we see him being that super egotistical flyboy at the start of Last Jedi. But yeah, we don't really see too much of just like how much he was this figure that everyone else looked up to, uh-huh. you know? And I think in some ways, knowing that helps me better understand why so many people followed him when he tried his kind of like takeover of power in Last Jedi. Yeah. Um, as well as it was fun to see him be a mentor yeah. to, to, to Kaz in a lot of ways. Yeah, that was fun. I also appreciated seeing just a bit more General Organa. Yeah, me too. And uh, obviously, Carrie Fisher had passed away by this time. She was voiced by uh, two women named uh, Rachel Butera and Carolyn Hennessy. And I thought they they used her sparingly enough, and and those actresses were 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 close enough that it didn't feel like oh, this is the wrong person. You know, it yeah. definitely felt like, especially because when Kaz first like you know connects with her and hears orders from her, you can see that he really holds her with so much reverence, with so much you know. Um, um, high esteem that was really powerful. Yeah, it was. It was. I'm going to be honest. I kind of thought that they had used sound clips from Carrie Fisher. Like the voice acting was so mm. good. Like I saw her on screen and I kind of like got chills. I was like, Space Mom, she's back. Yeah. Like we get to see her being like Space Grandma to Kaz because he's mm-hmm. just so much younger and has so much to learn. So, yeah. I appreciated her inclusion in the show, seeing, also seeing more of, like, her relationship with Poe. Yeah. Before. Seeing how much she did trust him, and she did, like, they did respect each other, and that, yeah, it makes that breach then so much more powerful. Uh The the last thing I'll just say about that, also with Poe, and this is a hard moment, but it feels right, is all this stuff that's happening on the platform, as we said, is happening literally as The Force Awakens is happening. Mm -hmm. And so there's this really powerful moment where together Kaz and Poe go on kind of a research mission that, that lets them realize what Jedi Starkiller base is about and like what that something really, really bad is about to happen. At which point Kaz is like, OK, well, you put me in the situation. Now we really need your help. And Poe has to say, I'm sorry, I can't because I have to go back and, you know, help help fight in, in The Force Awakens. Yeah. Because he... he that's what sets him on the mission to go and help try to find the stuff to, um, you know, find Luke Skywalker, which is where we we wind up at, at the start of The Force Awakens. And it was heartbreaking because you want, especially in more of a kid's thing, you want to feel like the heroes are always going to come and rescue everybody who needs to. Mm-hmm. But like the people on this platform wind up kind of being on their own. And you see Kaz having some sense of being let down that Poe can't just turn around and come save him. And it was... It was hard to watch, but it felt really real, and I thought it was really well done. Yeah. That was definitely a good part of it. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, thank you so much, Aaron. This has been awesome. Um, uh, yeah, You were on pretty recently, so people may remember you, but for who hasn't, I know your TikTok and stuff, your your uh, um, cosplay has really taken off. So tell people a little bit more about what you do outside of this and where they can find you. Yeah. Um, what I do outside of this Star Wars wise is mainly cosplay. I have a TikTok and an Instagram at lady period Tano period creates both on TikTok and Instagram. Um, and yeah, I kind of just like to document things as I'm doing them. I made my own Leku 
um, which is the headdress for Ahsoka. That's who I cosplay as, mm-hmm. Ahsoka. Um, so I documented the whole process of me making that, and I've been documenting just, like, figuring out how the makeup works as well as doing some fun, like, Christmas-themed photos and stuff like that. So, yeah, so if you want to come along my cosplay journey, see what I'm doing there as well as every once in a while just a other funny video about Star Wars, go ahead and give me mm-hmm. a follow. Yeah, definitely. It's de- very worth checking out. That's how we actually kind of connected was I found your TikToks and really enjoyed them. Uh, I'll have those in the show notes. And of course, you can find all the stuff that we do on this podcast and my others under theethicalpanda.com. Uh, a lot of great stuff going on there. If you go to that website, more most importantly, you'll find the ways to contact us and give us feedback. Uh, we just did an episode of feedback. We have some more coming up. Um, please check that out. We'd love to hear what you thought. What did you think of Resistance? Or what did you think of our description? If you haven't seen it, let us know. You can find us on Facebook, on Twitter, uh, email. Generally, the best way to send in feedback is sending it to Matthew at theethicalpanda.com. You can also find us on Twitter, any of those places. We'd love to hear your thoughts and feedback. So on behalf of myself, Aaron, thank you all so much for listening and have a good day. Thank you.